Hey there, we're Those Sci-Fi Guys, and this is that Those Sci-Fi Guys show. Just two working dudes, different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and, the, and I guess the fun that comes with. We're your hosts, I am P.S. McKay, and welcome today's, to today's reality where the definitions are made up and language doesn't matter. Let's get this game started. Yeah, that was my Facebook post from earlier. I know. I was proud of it. Proud of it. Thank you, whose line is it anyway? Yep, that was the reference. But also, a delightful social commentary. I'm DT Cavman. And I'm enjoying Shark Week. <laughs> I need to take a page out of your book, man, because... Gosh darn it, I am flipping miserable from all the news that's coming out right now. And all the doom and gloom. Which we're not going to talk about because this is not that kind of podcast. But man, do I need a mental health day of some sort or week or just Shark Week. It's always yeah. Health Week. I just, just take my brain out. Just take the brain out of my body and ugh. Because I got to say, watching Strange New Worlds in the finale today did not help. <laughs> Why? It was awesome. It reminded me too much of all the problems we're having. <laughs> but we'll we'll go into that. We'll go into that. How you doing, DT? I am good. Yeah? Uh, you know, just trying to get through, trying to get through some life. Uh, you know, uh, spending time with the family, working way too much. But it's Shark Week. So when I come it is Shark Week. I crack open a fine Narragansett. And I sit down <laughs> and I watch Shark Week with my family. Oh, that's nice. I like that. It's been years, maybe decades, since I actually took part in Shark Week. And I know that, pardon the pun, I don't mean to say this, but I know that in the past, Discovery has kind of jumped the shark with shark week in some instances well <clears throat> excuse me about eight years ago or so seven or eight years ago they started running basically mockumentaries like they had this whole like megalodon thing where they kind of led it to believe that they had found some evidence that maybe it's still alive turns out it was complete bullshit and they right. got dragged over the coals it it was, was, it they was did bad. a similar thing about mermaids, too. The, that wasn't during Shark Week. They did do no, that. No, but, that wasn't yeah, they did Shark do that, yeah. Week. So, you know, after a year or so, they really kind of cleaned up their act, and they got back to doing... I mean, they're still doing gimmick stuff. I mean, for two years in a row, they had Snoop Dogg narrating the year in Shark <laughs> news from the previous year narrated by snoop which was oh. funny as shit they have celebrities diving with sharks but they also have real documentaries really neat stuff and one of the most popular recurring shows is a show called air jaws which takes place off the um Gold coast, coast of south africa oh. cape town cape town yeah where, because of the depth of the area around the seal colonies, 
these are the great white sharks that actually breach straight up out of the air. Mm-hmm. And so it's That's been so awesome popular. to see. It's it's so cool. It, every <laughs> year they have a new version of it. They have a lot of the same people who are studying it. Yeah. Yeah. We do uh, one of my favorites. And now, because I've watched Shark Week so much over the last, particularly the last close to a decade, and now over the last four or five years, my kid is, this This is something she likes to do, is watch Shark Week <laughs> with me. So That's awesome. I love that that's yeah. appointment viewing for you. It is. You know, and it used to be, you know, start on Monday, go to Friday, three, you know, three episodes a night of something, then expand into Sunday night. And then they expanded into Saturday night. And now they've crept into seven o'clock. <laughs> so now there's like from this year to last year, there's almost like twice as much content. Plus oh, sure. The Discovery Plus has a couple of special stuff. They got they got kind of nuked a little bit last year because they had some really good shit on Discovery Plus. And it um no one got to see it because no one got Discovery Plus. Right. So they, they've done mostly previews, like early stuff, and maybe one or two things, but not near as much as last year. Yeah. I, I'm waiting for Discovery Plus to actually um, move to HBO Max because they're the same company now. And it would, it would be foolhardy for them to try to split that baby. You know what I mean? Mm, I get you. Kind of like how you think this, uh, Disney Plus uh, is going to absorb Hulu. Yeah, oh, there totally are. I, I mean, think about it. The Orville's going to Disney Plus. As much as I love the Orville, that is not equally a family show. That is not a Disney show, you know? Mm. Uh, it's not. <laughs> um, but with now that passcode, yeah, I mean, all that all they're going to have left are Fox properties and Disney properties on Hulu. And you've got ESPN Plus, so it's not even like Hulu's streaming. Oh, my God. I just realized there might be a contradiction there. Because Hulu has live television. You can you could subscribe for like forty five bucks a, a month and get live television through them. That could be absorbed to Disney Plus easily. I know. Do you think they'd want to do that though? I mean, I I would think that 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 would make sense because you would have a tier, several tiers on Disney Plus at that point. Well, right now I don't want them to shake up the Disney Plus format too much. It's one of the few. Streaming platforms that you can go on where it, there's no commercials. And I'm, I mean, if they have a commercial tier, I'm fine. I'm not going to pay for the commercial tier. I, I'll, I'll pay premium. Um, it'll be interesting, though, to, to see then how I it shakes out. To absorb, I need Disney Plus to absorb Hulu, then, if we're going to do that. <laughs> I think they will, uh, because all, all of the stuff at the end of September or November... All the stuff that belongs to NBC, gone. All the stuff that belongs to CBS, if not by the end of the year, early next year, gone. Like, uh, 
it, it's just going to be all gone. I mean, most of the stuff for, that belongs to CBS anyway is already gone from Hulu as it stands. So, which is interesting. So, why would Disney buy Hulu? It already owns Hulu. I mean, they they well, they bought Fox, which gave them like an, uh, a seventy percent share, and then they bought out. They bought out NBC and CB and CBS didn't want anything to do with Hulu pretty much anyway. So they then they bought out NBC, which gave them like ninety five percent control. So I don't it's whatever. And then I guess the rest is the Discovery Network. Because <laughs> well, I watched the Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch on Hulu. That's on the History Channel. That's part of the Discovery. Fair enough. Well. Getting back to Shark Week real quick. Oh, I I'm sorry. This. I, I want to mention one thing because it kind of goes in hand in hand with the, the topic we discussed last time. Biggest Badassery? Yes. So <laughs> one of the big figures who've been pretty, has shown up in a lot of Shark Week stuff over the last, you know, five plus years is a guy by, is a guy by the name of Paul DeGelder. Okay. He's an Australian, former uh, Australian Actually. special uh, ops who was attacked by a bull shark in Sydney Harbor during a training exercise and lost uh, a forearm and a leg. Oof. You say Paul Felder? D. Gelder. Paul oh, D. D. Gelder. Gelder. Yes. Paul D. Gelder. Yep. I'm looking him up. Epic badass. The guy has a prosthetic hand, leg, and still now he's he's ripped like hell. Yeah, and he's super ripped. Yeah, but he does all these shark uh, episodes on Shark Week. I think he, I want to say he was one of the guys who helped Tyson when Tyson was trying to get over fear of sharks and do swimming with sharks. Yeah, they've had Shaq, they've had Tyson. (laughs) <laughs> Will Smith last year Brad Paisley was trying to find out what kind of har- uh, acoustic harmonics aggravated or soothed sharks turns out sharks like country music because when he was playing country music the sharks in the Bahamas were pretty chill when they started playing really stuff with a lot more percussion it agitated sharks Huh. But string stuff they like. Yeah. He okay. played he played some music. He played he and a couple of his band members played off the back of a boat and there was a shitload of like lemon sharks and stuff just kind of schooling around. Them. Wow, that's cool. All right, well that would make sense because percussion is like boom, boom, boom and it's magnified each wave in the water. But if oh, you yeah. got a string, that's just a constant sound back and forth. It's not it's not abrasive. It's just there. That's interesting. That's my theory. I'm, uh, you know, l- I'll write the paper later about that. <laughs> well, but it was that's a fascinating observation. I'm a huge Brad Paisley fan, but this guy, Paul DeGelder, fucking epic badass dude. Uh, yeah. He's not only he's not only missing his right leg and most of his right arm, 
but he's bald and he looks awesome. Yes. Well, I'm sure right now he's shaving his head. Yeah. But yes. Dude, dude's super ripped. He's a <laughs> he's a motivational speaker, but he's also a big shark conservationist. This year he's on one called Raging Bulls, where he goes and studies bull sharks. I haven't watched that one yet. Damn. Well, I'm impressed with this man. Thank you for introducing me to him. Yep. As you can tell, I am not an avid watcher of Shark Week. I'm not against it. I just, I'm not in charge of my TV. Some of it's so uh, fun, man. Just, just you know, you press record. Oh, Saturday night, Monsters of the Cape. Ooh, I got to do that. Yes. You can record. I can, I can record that, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Considering how how much of a delight it is to go to the Cape after you cross over the Scarborough Bridge, I'm sorry. The Sar what was no oh, shoot. What is it called? Sagamore. Sagamore, not Scarborough. That's a beach, open ocean beach in Rhode Island. So, and here, I will go ahead and give you um, the lineup for the next two nights. There's Jaws versus the Blob, which is that big jellyfish. I think it's a mass of like a fish ball that where they where they feed. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's all off the coast of Guadalupe Island in Mexico. Then it's the Clash of Killers, Great Whites versus Makos, where they collide off of um, as uh, against. Uh, Compete for each other as foods for food sources off of New Zealand. Shark women ghosted by great whites. It's a whole bunch of female, uh, well, female crew led by um, an, another Shark Week. And she, there's a lot of some, uh, a lot of the Shark Week. There's personalities who appear kind of like Paul together, but there's true scientists yep. who appear a lot, including a a woman named Allison Towner. Who is a who uh, is a shark biologist who studies sharks off of South Africa? So she does a uh -huh. lot of the air jaws and stuff. But she's got an all female team who's going to go watch uh, and, and look for more sharks off of uh, uh, Cape Town because they started disappearing a few years ago after a bunch were killed by orcas and all the great whites like poofed. Ooh, really? Yeah. Yep. Then uh, tomorrow night is. Their last one is Great Hammerhead Stakeout, where they go to the Bahamas to strike out the, the Great Hammerheads, which are awesome. Have they talked about, this is this is decades ago where I watched this documentary, have they talked about the idea that hammerheads are going to become the dominant shark? Because on the fossil record, hammerheads were not around until like one just of a few newest, million years ago. They're one of the, most, the newest uh, evolutions. So there are yeah. several different types of hammerheads and some of them are endangered and there there's a lot more hammerhead stuff coming out over the last few years on Shark Week. But then you've got Monsters of the Cape Saturday at eight o'clock where they go <laughs> diving off the waters of Cape Cod. I can see why. Uh, yeah, yeah. She is very uh, she is very accomplished. Allison Towner in her in her uh, research. That's amazing. Yep, my my kid really enjoys her. Thinks she's pretty. Hey, awesome. that's great. 
Huh. Very nice. Where's she from? What country does she hail from? I think she's South African. By the, oh, by oh the she's accent. racist. That's the problem. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Apartheid only ended in 1994, man. <laughs> Look, I don't know, man. I'm not sure if she's South African. Sounds kind of like she is, but that's, there's a lot of Australians and Americans and Canadians and all these shark experts who go off of South Africa anyway. I feel like the the shark world is is dominated by uh, Californians, um, South Africans, and Australians, with a dusting yes. of New Zealanders. Right, because those are the biggest areas. Those were the big three. Then mm-hmm. they started sprinkling in Hawaii and. The Californians went down to the Gulf of California. Guadalupe Island is a big is a big hot spot. But now it's creeping up the East Coast. Well, I mean, and then you start doing when they're doing the hammerheads, they do a lot off the Florida Keys and in the Bahamas. So you get that. But now Cape Cod is becoming a regular just because of the amount of sharks that are off there now. It's funny. Was it always that way or is it a new phenomenon? Well, I think because the steel populations have exploded in the last 20 years. Since Steelfish. Seal populations. Oh, the seal populations. Okay, sorry. And they're, go- they're going farther and farther down the coast. And, of course, the cha- with some of the rising temperatures, the sharks are coming farther north. The seals are going farther south. And a lot of them like to hang out on Cape Cod. And it's like a buffet for the sharks. I don't remember ever hearing about seals in New England. Uh, you know, outside of like northern Maine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like the main coast. You'd see them, and not occasionally you might get some harbor seals that would show up off of the Cape, but not a lot. Yeah. When we were not kids, at all. you could go whale watching off the Cape. Now you can go seal watching off the Cape, and <laughs> I guess there's a lot of companies that are trying to get shark ex- uh, ex- exhibition or expeditions off. You know, like we can go out and. Yeah, see, maybe see a natural predation on it. <laughs> like taking you out and then putting you in a semi-submersible, like a, a like a not even a glass-bottom boat, but like no, a, a dipped I boat. I think just going out and trying to see if you can see some sharks. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. just I took a seal tour in Chatham Harbor, and they were everywhere. But as the boat captain was saying, and normally they're all in the water, so there must be some sharks around because uh, there's almost no seals in the water. <laughs> Oh, maybe we'll yeah. get to see some sharks. <laughs> Needless to say, and and why why I mentioned I was drinking near Gansett is because that was the beer that they were drinking in the movie Jaws. Mm-hmm. It was back back in the seventies. It was a real. It was like a shitty. It was like Natty Ice or PBR for New England, right? And it died. <laughs> yeah. Brand died, and then the Nantucket Nectars guy sold them, and those guys bought the Narragansett brand, brought it back, and now it's a much better beer. But every summer, they reissue the the replicas of the cans that were in the movie Jaws, and they have the Jaws poster on the side of the box, and the cans look I like, like that. Yeah, it's awesome. So I made sure I like to buy some lot. so I could watch it for Shark Week. Oh, sure. Yeah. This is just a regular Narragansett can, which is still delicious. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the original 
Jaws movie. I think they were the early version of the aluminum cans, but they were also the pull tabs. The pull tabs, yes. They don't do that. They just print the, they do the old style print. Right. And there again, yeah. they have a hashtag, crush it like Clint, because he would always <laughs> crush his cans when he was finished drinking with them. So, needless to All say, right. folks, Shark Week's pretty awesome. If nothing else, well, if you're afraid of sharks, I recommend it because at least you get to understand what they are about. Coming up next week, Gorn Week. <laughs> Gorn Week. Actually, that's this week. <laughs> Tonight is the first night of Gorn Week. Oh, my as God. we discuss Strange New Worlds Season 1. Before we go any further, do you know when they switched? This is a non-sequitur question, but not really. You, you can trace it back. Do you know when they switched the cans from pull tabs to press tabs? I don't. But part of me kind of wants them to reissue just a limited edition of those. I would like that. I would, too. I would. I would, too. I feel like the, the pull tab felt more efficient. Um, yeah. I don't know. I never drink from cans anymore. Well, just, just as the nature of everything, I, I buy I buy bottles now, you know, I, bottles I, of soda and stuff. You can't even see it. Bottles of soda. But I now have a beer fridge and I can fit more beer in them if I buy cans. <laughs> I have a beer fridge and I never touch the beer. I know it's a travesty. But anyway, I give too much. Anyway, what are we here to talk about, DT? Like I said, it's week. It's night one of Gorn Week. Mm. <laughs> We're going to do our review of Strange New Worlds season one. Now we did a preview, kind of our reaction to like the first episode or two, and we're going to go ahead and conclude our review of Strange New Worlds season one, which, and I'm just going to go ahead and say I really enjoyed it. It's been a long time since we've had true episodic trek. I'll grant you Lower Decks is fairly episodic, but it's a little bit different. It's a lot of fun. It is. And apparently Comic-Con said that they're going to do a Strange New Worlds uh, fucking (laughs) Lower Decks crossover, which I know Anson Mount is stoked for. He seems like he's got a pretty good sense of humor. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if it's just like it's kind of like a tease, kind of almost like making fun of these are the voyages. Where it's like, yeah, Boy it's like and a, uh, are going to the holodeck and they're walking around on the Enterprise behind Pike and company. Exactly. That's what I think it's going to be like. They're going to be observing something on the screen or something like that, because the way I view and we'll talk about Strange New Worlds, but the way I view Lower Decks and I haven't seen season two. I'm sorry. I know. It's a miracle that I got through Strange New Worlds, which I'm just going to say up front, I thoroughly enjoyed. Okay? It's not a miracle. It, it's it, <laughs> it's a miracle I got through it because I haven't paid for Paramount Plus since March. So, Well, for starters, definitely watch Season 2 of Lower Decks because Season 3, they're going back to Deep Space Nine. I know, I know. J.G. Hertzler is going to be back as Bartok. <laughs> So here's we all know how we love Martok. By the way, have you seen the Mark 
on the Star Trek memes page? Have you seen the Kartok with Martok memes? Oh my god, no. They're so hilarious. Uh I I I uh Heart what what is it called? Car talk with Martok. He, he's oh like my doing god. Like those, he's like doing like a, a radio show for like you know <laughs> cars. <laughs> people are, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Jesus. But it's Martok, so I love it. I I bet. I mean shoot. Okay, here's my theory about Lower Decks, and tell me if you jive with it or not. Lower Decks is a show about Star Trek, but it is not Star Trek. In the sense that it is non-canonical, but it takes all the stuff we love about Star Trek and just amps it up to a almost... almost um, parody level. Hmm... But it's not canon. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to disagree. I do think it is canon. But I also think it's hilarious and ridiculous. And I mean, it, it wouldn't be the first time that, you know, connected Will shows. Will Riker changed. fist bumps uh fist bumps uh what's her face mariner mariner yeah i mean Riker never would fist bump someone because fist bumping is not a thing in the 23rd century 24th century well here's the thing i actually think that we were getting the absolute best Riker on lower decks we are we are i'm not i'm and i I, I'm not in disagreement with you that it is an enjoyable trek. Trust me. I'm just saying, how do you translate the stuff that they go through into real-life canon or live canon that we see? I mean, they literally had Boimler being almost eaten by a, a, a blob with a, 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 a weird mouth from King Kong from those bugs. That eats the brains. Look, is it absurd? Sure. But you know what? So is so much of Star Trek when you go back and look at it. I know what you're referring to. Just and all the fantasy it. stuff that they did, like Q making, you know, an episode of uh, Robin Hood and stuff like that. By the way, not a very enjoyable episode, except when Data got shot by an arrow. I don't know. Worf doing the whole Animal House thing was pretty funny. Well, that was good too. Those are two good, ep- good two, two Sir, I great moments. I am not a merry man. All right, three great moments. <laughs> three great moments in an episode that is otherwise. God, gosh darn it! Why do you keep adding on the moments <laughs> and undermining undermining my argument here? Look, three it, great it, moments in an otherwise meh episode. Is it is it anybody's favorite episode? I don't know. Was it fun? Sure. Just like it was fun when the cast of The Next Generation did a, basically a skit for comic relief for Whoopi Goldberg. Wait, when did they do that? I think it was like season six or season seven. What? You can, what? You can find for out what? You ever watch the, did you ever see comic relief? 
Well, I know what comic relief is, but it oh was, shoot, really? They used to do these big shows. You know, oh. of it was always hosted by Robin Whoopi and Well, Billy. okay. Yeah. And then they would have all these comedians come in and like all the proceeds would go to I think it was for homelessness, right? Yeah. And then one year they 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 cut this video clip and it's the cast of the next generation having discovered oh, a time totally capsule with, seven. Yeah, with with shit from twentieth century Earth and they're like they kept calling her Whoopie instead of Whoopi. Whoopie. Uh, yes. That would be me. Okay, but that's not canon. She kind of looks like Guinan. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, no, I haven't I seen know. it. I found, the, I found the thing. Not, I found it. Completely not canon. It's like the Star Wars holiday special. Completely not right. canon. It's a canon. That's canon because they mentioned Life Day and The Mandalorian. It's canon now. And, oh, oh, and... Uh, Boba Fett mentioned that he rode beasts three times as big as the Rancor. We know what he was referring to. Yeah, when he was riding the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I can live in a world... Listen, I, you and I can agree to disagree on this because we both agree it's a delightful show. Okay. I like to think that it is not canon, but it is about Star Trek, not Star Trek. And if you want to think that it is Star Trek as as it stands, I'm not going to say you're wrong because we don't have an official standing on it. Well, but you can understand where I'm coming from about that, right? I, I do, and, and I'm okay with that, too. The fact of the matter is they're doing season two, you gotta watch, but they're really tying it closer and closer to the canon. You're right. I haven't seen season two, so I can't really speak of from authority in that You're regard. like saying you haven't finished the second half of the book yet, man. <laughs> the, the the well the second third, really. Even though yeah, I know what you're saying. I uh, you're, you're right, you're right. You're right. This is just my prevailing thought as it stands right now. And, and, look, and it's we, not we, it's not original. And we've discussed the canon issue before. What's yep. canon? What isn't? Is the animated series canon? Well, if Lower Decks is canon, which the creator of Lower Decks is trying to tell everybody, and just about everybody at Paramount is trying to pitch it for that, just like Prodigy is canon. But since They've started making a lot of references to the animated series in Lower Decks. Ipso facto. I know, yeah. But, uh, you know, you get... Just you like get how that. Rice could beat Alabama because they beat a certain team, that beat that team beat a certain team, and that team beat a certain team, and that team beat a certain team, that team beat a certain team, which beat Auburn, and Auburn beat Alabama. You guessed it. Frank Stallone. <laughs> exactly. Look, I I'm just it. saying. I get it. It's, <laughs> there's, there's tenuous links in season one. They get a little firmer in season two. And there's people who are questioning the canonicity of Discovery, of uh, Strange New Worlds. And I'll say this. Strange New Worlds is definitely more loyal to canon than is Discovery was first couple seasons 
Well, I, I will. Gosh, I will agree with that. You'll have to understand that I do have some nitpicks that I have to air. Some minor grievances, I grant you. Hey, These are first you world problem grievances. Anton Mount's hair alone. I will because it is gorgeous. It is okay. <laughs> but you will have to understand as we go through this, I do have some minor grievances. As do I. I, I mean, and because uh, again, this is not me shitting on something you love. Trust no, no, me. No, and I, and I get where you're going with this. We both start off with saying we thoroughly enjoy the series, correct? Yes. I was delightfully surprised. Best new Star Trek? I, I, yeah, it is the best of the new Star Trek. It absolutely is. Leaps and bounds. I mean, Discovery is a... Discovery is a complete failure in comparison to what uh, Strange New Worlds is. Its, busy, its biggest success was... Spawning Strange New Worlds. <laughs> I, it, by accident, by the way. They brought in Captain Pike because they, were, they weren't getting the fans that they wanted. His hair is much better here than it was in season two. His hair wasn't bad in season two. <laughs> but it is, Can you imagine it is in season two of Discovery if they had the, that same hair? Like, I, don't, I don't know no, if the no fans would have taken it seriously. I, I don't think they would have taken him seriously, to be honest with you. Like, they did the right thing by having him come in a little bit more buttoned up and conservative looking, so to speak. Well, that was a little closer to the Jeffrey Hunter style that we were thinking of. Yeah. What I like about this series is that you're seeing Pike, despite knowing all of these things, still struggling to maintain the personality of the man he really wants to be. Well, let's talk about it. What are... Okay. Let's talk about our favorite episodes of the season, and then let's talk about little different things that we liked, three or four different things that we each liked, and then three or four different things that gnawed our craw. Mm. So what's your favorite episode of the season? Ooh, the season finale. Okay, was, no, was we need to do... Awesome. We also need to do least favorite episode of the season, because we can't, we can't do one without the other. I liked, um... What was it, uh... Season episode four, um, it was the Latin word, memento mori or something like that. Memento mori. It means in, uh, oh shoot, in life, death or something like that. Dead air. Yeah. I'm thinking of Strange New Worlds right now. What did well, you like about it? Well, I'm a soldier. Okay, so... We've talked about this ad nauseum. But the idea of having little remembrance pins or having essentially a memorial day for the service, I think, was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Then they, have, they get to wear these pins of their previous ships, which is great. Kind of harkens back to the mission patches the, or the ship patches that Enterprise had. Yeah. Right? that were basically like NASA mission patches or unit and ship insignia from the modern-day U.S. military. We uh, talked about this. Right. Uh, but, is this but, a thing in the U.S. military where, where they wear a remembrance pin or something? 
No, but when on your left shoulder in your you know in the what we call the army combat uniform the green you know we had the the acu which was the gray that blend into nothing mm-hmm. even the bdus you'd have your your unit patch sewn or velcroed to your left shoulder that was the unit you were currently in if right. you went to war with a unit on your right shoulder you would wear a combat patch and you would have that from a previous unit, and you could wear that forever. So I went to war with the 4th Infantry Division in 2005 and 2006, so I could wear that patch on my right shoulder the entirety of my career. Even though okay. I would go to different units, and my left shoulder would change, but my and when I deployed again to Iraq on 2010 with the 1st Infantry Division, I got to wear that patch on my right shoulder, and when I went to war again with First uh, Cav Division, I got I could rotate that patch in. So I'm technically authorized to wear four different uh, combat patches on my uh, right shoulder. Wait a minute, that's where your name comes from. Them, you're part of the cavalry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just never brought it up. Wow. <laughs> Excellent deduction, okay. Mister Spock. Yes. So, Memento Mori, that was the one where they encountered the Gorn officially for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And they basically did, like, submarine warfare or something like that? Yes, it it, it had a, a bit of a semblance of both Balance of Terror yeah, the original series, which we will discuss more later, and oh Starship God. Down from Season 4 of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that was right. an episode Island where basically. the Defiant was trying to broker a meeting with the Karama, a basically a the Ferengi of the Dominion, mm-hmm. and they get ambushed by the Jem'Hadar, and it's it's a little cross. It's it's kind of like disaster in a way where members of the crew are spread out all over the ship and trapped. But in another way, too, is that they're like hiding, I think, in a nebula or a gas giant or something. And they're basically using echolocation like submarines to try to find the Dominion ship. Yeah, we're, we don't need to talk about that. We need to talk about Strange New Worlds, though. But my point is, is that this episode that has similar vibes to this where they're like hiding in. Uh, wasn't it? they? Was it a nebula? They were hiding in a, a nebula, yeah. And then they were using a black hole. So they were... They used it, a black hole to slingshot themselves, yeah. So it was definitely... You had hints of uh, Star Trek Four there, but you also <laughs> had submarine-style warfare. Yeah. You don't see the Gorn physically. They don't have... They're not communicating. And it's kind of like hide and it's like escape and evade but also fight back yeah which i i found interesting because this is the first time we ever see a gorn ship or ships because we saw the little scout fighter or whatever and then some of their backup and then and then we got to see their big mother ship and everything and we got to see a true intelligence on behalf of the gorn which we saw a little bit in the the big, slow Gorn captain who was doing karaoke. 
Yes, he was holding a microphone. You're right. <laughs> or the at Vasquez Rock. <laughs> or the sort of intelligent CG Gorn from In a Mirror Darkly. Well, I mean, that's the other thing because I want to. I'm not gonna. I would like to bring up the corollary episode to this too, which is not. I don't know if it's fair or not because it's not my favorite, but it's not my least favorite either. Gorn um, wedding. The Gorn wedding. Did you really just set, throw that out there? Um, those are like the only times canonically we've seen the Gorn up until this season. Yes, those two. Those two episodes really are the only time. And the only two times, what, maybe they mentioned a couple times in, in Deep Space Nine by Dax, by the way. Cisco. Oh, Cisco? Yeah. Of course yeah. I'd like to meet him. Asking about fighting the Gorn on Cestus 3. Yeah, that's right. So but so even then, by TNG's time, the Gorn are still a mysterious race that we basically just don't want to tangle with. We don't want to talk to. We have an uneasy truce with them, and that's it. By TNG's time. So obviously the Gorn are an unstable element that we just can't deal with. So we see that illustrated here because La'an had her entire family wiped out by the Gorn on a colony, eaten, yeah. basically. Um, that was her trauma, as everyone on this crew has to have a trauma. That is already said in the pilot episode. So <laughs> that was my one critique about the pilot, by the way. Um, the good news is I don't think we've learned everybody's true trauma yet. No, no, their true trauma is going to be coming soon. Um, so, but we see the Gorn, and they're smart, and they're intelligent in that episode. Um, they throw decoys out there, just like the Enterprise tries to throw, de throw decoys out there. And it's been a few weeks since I've seen it, so I can't recall it to the best extent. But then we see the penultimate episode, where we see the Gorn again. That was a hard one. That was a rough episode. I will give you that. That episode was. Um... Gosh, OK, so no, I'm not going to throw shade on it. I'm just going to say this. It reminded me of the Orville episode that was like episode two or episode three of this current season. Where the crew members got infected with something and turned oh, into yes. these weird night crawler things, you know. Um, but the episode here of, of Strange New Worlds, the penultimate episode that we're talking about, where we see the Gorn for the Strange second time. Strange New Worlds, the alien generation. Yeah. Uh, all those who wander. We see, we see, uh, uh, the sister ship of the Enterprise. I forget the name. It technically was a different class. It's a little shorter, a little. It's, oh, was it really? Uh, yes. It's it like, looked like the Enterprise. It, but it, it crashed on an L-class planet, and there was a uh, distress beacon. They land, and they find um, basically all the crew massacred and a lot of unnecessary blood. Um, right. <laughs> although realistic, I have to say. I, it's realistic. I mean, if And they find out it's the Gorn 
that had infected the ship. And the, 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 the captain's last log entry is we've been infected by the Gorn. Stay and the fuck away. Stay away. Like, yeah, just stay away. So which tells here? us tells us a couple things now. So the Gorn are reptilian, but they don't act like typical reptilians. They're almost virological because they spread their seed with their venom to infect well, to infect a body and basically turn some, that body into don't some insects do something a little similar like laying them in a host yeah all the time they're like bees or hornets and things like that they turn them into zombies yeah yeah larva yeah like there's a there shoot you're right what is it called Parasites. They do it. Yeah, I mean, they're all parasites. They're basically parasites. So they don't they don't replicate. They don't replicate by normal sexual reproduction. They do it by their infecting loss. others. I know it's their loss, of course. Where's the fun in that? But they they infect others. So that and this is my one critique, by the way. This is a thought question, okay? Because ultimately. I did find the the episode shocking. I thought it was very fascinating. They landed on the the uh, the the crash ship. What was the name of the ship? They don't, shoot, they're not even saying it on the IMDb thing. Try the Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to go there. Yes, you do. Uh, fine, I'll go there. Keep yeah yammering. Well, anyway. So they land on the crash ship and they're trying to find the crew. They can't find it to find the, the Gorn are there. OK, great. The Gorn have apparently been a bit of a problem on the frontier. Understood. But with the way that they reproduce, they, it, they essentially establish that they need aliens in order to reproduce. Otherwise, they would have infected their entire planet's peregrine. Um, Oh, the USS Peregrine. Thank you. Otherwise, they would have infected their entire planet's fauna to reproduce, and now they have to go back out and do this. It's basically a vampire, you know, race to do that, which which feels damaging to what the Gorn are because they are an intelligent lizard race, very formidable. To the point where the the Federation doesn't want to deal with them, even in the 24th century. Do you remember Andromeda? Yeah, of course. Do you remember the Magog? Yep. This is the same way they reproduced. Is that really the same way they reproduced? No way. Really? Well, then that's a fault in that, too. It's the same fault. Eh. I mean, just because just because Gene Roddenberry said that about the Magog, and we don't know because Andromeda was a reproduction of an early script of Gene Roddenberry's, but let's just say he did think of the Magog in that exact way, which is possible, which is possible. I'm just saying the Gorn are more of a virus rather than a, a, a species. 
which is weird to think about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because of that virus, we lost Hammer, or Hemmer. Hammer. Who was oh my probably God. one of the most enjoyable characters in the entire series. I loved Hammer. Nearly enough screen time. And he didn't have nearly enough. He didn't he was never redeemed throughout the whole series. We didn't see a single episode that focused on him schooling everyone. First of all, he you know, we needed an episode where we saw him telling everyone you need to do this. And then everyone else is like, no, we don't need to do this. We need to do this. And then consequences happen. And Hammer's like, I freaking told you so. And here's how we can fix it. Because to show that man's genius. And Um, he needed to do it in a way that showed that he needed eyesight, but he could still do it blind. The Elysian Kingdom, I thought, did a pretty good job of showing just how good the character was. <laughs> uh, what was it? His, Dr. Mbaka. <laughs> please help everyone. Mbega. Please help. Everyone's an idiot right now. <laughs> so I'll have you court-martialed. Like, I know, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, abracadabra. You know, he's like, with, yeah. with science. Good science, I know, yeah. Well, what so would be a magical words that humans use? Abracadabra would suffice. By the way, <laughs> there was a huge Easter egg in that episode. Beautiful Easter egg. Mm. The book, The Elysian Kingdom. That oh, I know it. Yes, I know what you're saying, yeah. Go for it. So in the episode, The Elysian Kingdom, where... A, a very, very Star Trek-y episode where some alien power is basically connects with Mbenga's daughter who's dying of a horrible disease and he keeps her locked in the transporter in sickbay uh, to slow it while he works on a cure and he doesn't tell anybody until number one finds out. But he takes her out periodically and he reads her basically a bedtime story before putting her back to bed. Uh, and it's called the Elysian Kingdom. And this non-corporeal entity reaches out and starts connecting with Mbenga's daughter. And they basically bring the storybook to life with Mbenga and the rest of the crew yep. of the Enterprise, all being characters from this medieval fantasy. Pike is this foppish uh <laughs> very foppish are you allowed to say that anymore what is foppish again because it sounds it's just feminine right well it, it's kind of like a a, a douchey sycophant for a yeah <laughs> it, it's it's thrown at british uh nobility so i think you can still make fun okay. of okay people all right well okay let's do that so he's just he's such a tool and he's it's great. It's the opposite <laughs> he plays Pike. it very well, by the way. It was the exact opposite of what Pike is. They're all enjoying it because they are playing against type. Laon is like this. Except Ortega's. This, this, well, yeah, except Ortega's. But even she's not as fun. She's just like, she's like Worf, to be honest with you. The grumpy stoic warrior. Mm, yeah, I, I guess I am not a merry man, and that yes, would still qualify for Ortega's. Um, by the yeah, way, I just want to point out 
I know more names of this crew. Doctor Mbega, uh, well, I was half close of to. the crew was at least had appeared in at least two <laughs> episodes of the original series. Right, but all I'm saying is, I know more names of this crew than I can remember in all of Discovery, and I've seen three seasons of Discovery, three three point one ep- uh, seasons of of Discovery. I can't remember any of their names. Well, except Tilly. I mean, they do a better job with their supporting characters, I think, in in Strange New Worlds. Like, Hammer's not in every episode. Mbenga's not in every episode. Right. No, that's true. But, okay, so that fan... Let's talk about that fantasy episode episode real quick. Yeah. book, and I didn't see it in First Pass, and I had to see it when I was watching some of these other reaction videos and 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 in rewatches and the book is written by benny russell who was played by avery brooks in oh gosh was it beyond the stars far beyond the stars far beyond the stars in that ds9 episode which is that fantasy episode that where he played a a sci-fi writer at a magazine and it exemplified the racial inequity that it was basically faced. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a powerful episode because really honestly at that point, what was it? Season five or season six after five or six seasons, I'm seriously sitting there going, Oh my God, does none of this really exist? And it's really just him. Like, Apparently, Irish like, Stephen Bear, that was his original idea for the ending, was it was supposed to be. I like, know. People's mind, and everybody's like, yeah, we just would have fucked three other series, so stop yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's a powerful episode. It talks about the racism and the sexism, because remember, uh, Benny Russell and uh, whatever, uh, Kira's alter ego were both disinvited to the uh magazine's uh photo day yeah that's right they didn't want women writing the stories no or 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 quote unquote i'm not even gonna say it because even if i say quote unquote you said it i didn't say it i i i you don't even know what you can do nowadays when you say quotes like just it's such an awful term it it is a reference to the episode that I know it is you're you're absolutely correct and why should I be scared to say that anyway Mm. um the original can oh you have the original can I I need to refill myself shark week yeah you did as you stated earlier so uh that that story let's talk about that episode real quick because you just basically described it where it's the the Recreate recreation of that whole book of Mbega's daughter, um, reimagining that story, and there are characters that never met that she put together, and in the end, Mbega's daughter leaves her body to become non-corporeal, and it worked out for her really well. It was it was a, a beautiful ending, by the way. I felt. Um, starting out, 
when the first five minutes I turned it off because I'm like I don't have any tolerance for this. Crap. Oh, well, it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you think about I it. Just, I just I didn't want to deal with it. I wasn't in the mood for an episode like that. I I toughed it out. And man, can I just say they put an amazing emotional bow on it. I, I have I, I I gotta give I gotta give credit where credit is due. I am not a fan of CBS's Star Trek right now, but the writers are really trying hard. They're trying hard for real sci-fi Star Trek, or shall I say Star Trek sci-fi? Which is, I think, what we're getting for the most part with Strange New Worlds. And I'm going to expound on that a little bit at the end, which you might not like, but yeah, because again, I'm not shitting on anything. It's just thoughts. Okay. It's just thoughts. All right. Because again, I enjoyed the season. However, what was your least favorite episode? You know, I'm. The the first one was good. The second one, you know, I'm, I'm looking back through, and they all, I think, I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, episode seven, the Serene Squall, I I liked it, but it was probably my least. Uh, it was probably ten out of ten, as far as where I would rank it. I didn't hate it. In fact, I I enjoyed it enough, but it just wasn't. My favorite. They introduced the Orions in this. Well, yes, I think they did bring back some Orions. So a couple male Orions. Yes. Which, of course, Enterprise, I think, did a great job with the Orions. I liked, I liked that. And Enterprise, they show that is the women who are truly in charge of society. I know. Of I Orion, of the Orions. Thought that was brilliant. Um. Did not like the emerald chain in. Uh, I hated the, that. I, well, I did I, not like that at all. I think the and part of the thing is I didn't like the villain either. Osira. She wasn't really that threatening, and I think the makeup was not done well because like her mouth barely moved. It was it always yeah. pulled me? It always pulled me out of the scene. It was very off-putting. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It it was off-putting. And maybe they did that on purpose just to, you know, make the audience go, ooh, I don't like you. But maybe uh, that's probably too intelligent. You can have a great villain who you're supposed to hate that you, like Bester. He was not a likable <laughs> person or character in any way, shape, or form. But the performance was so good. Yes, that is true. Oh, Bester. <laughs> Needless no, to say. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It was, and they brought it back to possibly, they brought a, a tie to possibly the weakest Star Trek movie of all time. Star Trek V with Cybok. Yeah. Which, if Cybok shows up, would be interesting they literally it, made him look exactly like that actor did it, from behind. Well, yeah. I mean, it's easy. 
I think with the gray and all that, like in the beard, that 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 perturbed me. Like, well, here, I wonder if the movie would have been any better if they actually had gotten Sean Connery to play the role. They tried for that, didn't they? That was the whole point behind the name Shockery. But anyway, that would have been that would have been an awesome <laughs> get. But I don't think the movie would have done any better punch. if I don't think the movie would have done any better if they had Sean Connery. Unfortunately, <laughs> although I will say that Fuck. that Star Trek Five was probably one of the most interesting movies to start. Like the first the first forty minutes of it were the most interesting of. The Star Trek movies outside of Star Trek 4. Ah, and once again, a tip of the hat to the most recently deceased David Warner, who yes. that was his first Star Trek appearance. Yes, absolutely. But and I mean, we saw realism. A in the Star Trek movie. Yes. We saw a certain realism in that, in that movie with, you know, something that isn't utopian, Paradise and Lost. They actually had a good field uniform. Yeah, and they had a great field uniform. I mean, like and they did a cavalry different. charge. Yeah. Well, yeah. But they, but they did. They had a a, and we we actually had kind of a tactical sweater, kind of like that. That would that was based oh, yeah. off of some real stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it does. I you mean, never get to see it, but they actually have, you know, in the background of, of, of the uh, last five Star Trek movies of the original crew, excluding the motion picture, like you'll see security guards with like helmets and body armor walking around. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm they like, did do that. I think they did that even in TNG, the first two seasons, like way in the background. I don't recall, but I'll have to take your word for it. I think I think Blu-ray showed it. I could be very wrong. I could be very wrong, but you're right. All the way to Star Trek Six, we saw security guards with, you know, abdomen shields and helmets. And Strange New Worlds have good field uniforms. Yeah, they no, they do. They do. Out, next gen. What, you know, the, you got to see alternate uniforms in a lot of shows, but they would do it like one episode. Right. Be it, you know. This I'll give to Discovery is they had a pretty good tactical kit, that vest that had the built-in light in the shoulder. They had, like, pockets for, like, the tricoder and the mm-hmm. phaser. I'm like, yeah, why the fuck wouldn't you have that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean the next gen with like those huge palm lights and the, the big palm here. lights that that uh, oh my god let me just tell you when I had my iPod Touch my iPod Touch and I downloaded the Light app where it basically turned your screen white so you could try to see around you I'm standing around in like a dark room using that to find my way my the, my immediate thought was my god. This works in the dark, and it is, you know, 50 times thinner than whatever light palm light that the TNG characters were holding. Which, oh, yeah. 
which was, uh, by the way, a technological limitation for the 80s and early 90s because you didn't have LEDs at the time. I seem to recall, was it, did they ever get a wrist light? Voyager did. And I, I think I, I think DS9 did consequentially. But they were basically small, small light, you know, uh, you know, uh, shoot, what do you call them? Flashlights. Flashlights. Thank you. I'm having a stroke. Um, there were small uh, flashlights. Huh? So do you smell toast? Almonds. Is that bad? It, well, that's more poison than. Uh... Oh, shoot. okay. I should probably talk to my wife first. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Strange New World started having some tactical gear, which, of course, I mean, in the original, the cage, they beamed down in jackets. Yeah. No, they you're right. A uh, pilot that had jackets. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, no, it it's more practical. <laughs> no, and I agree with you know, that, me, and I, I I'm I appreciative of that. I am very appreciative of the things that they are doing in situations that you and I have talked about that we wished TNG, DS9, and Voyager did. I we've talked about these things. This is that, and those things were are being addressed now in modern Trek with equipment, with different styles of 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 tools and everything. And hell, even with the special effects, we're able to see some wonderful things that are dirt cheap in comparison to what it would have cost in 1993. Oh, of course, even 99. You know, look. Strange New Worlds is taking advantage of the technology it has available. Yes, completely. That's why we're using the Gorn. I mean, yes, because we can we can actually CGI them now, and we saw an, a, a sample of that in two thousand five, which was awesome. By the way, it was neat to see. It was obviously heavily CGI, which you know it needed a little bit more it was texturing and everything at the time, and was cool because you hadn't seen the Gorn in 30 years. Right. And there awesome. it was a little reimagining, but you were okay with that because, you know, the original Gorn pictured was not the original idea. Um, this, I got to say, for all those who wander, those were all um, adolescent Gorn, right? Yes. Okay. We did not see a, a full-grown adult Gorn at any point in that. Which is something Laan kind of made it clear. Right. The, Which the, is, the, they're, the not, they're not Gorn that well. Like Islanders, there can be only one. Right. <clears throat> okay. So but, I still wonder how Gorn society works, but we're not going to see that explained anytime soon, probably. Which is fine. It's fine. I'm okay what, with that. What broke my heart was hammer at the end you know love hammer the, oh, yeah. the, the way he taught uhura was actually pretty cool oh yeah absolutely in find the, find a family or fi find 
Yeah, didn't he say find a family? Yeah, basically. You know, they had... I'm trying to find which... Which episode was it where... I think it was Memento Mori. It was like the Mori. second episode. Wasn't it Memento Mori when they were trapped? No, it was Children the... of the Comet. No. Where... Oh, I, well, I don't know what you're referring oh. to, Don. Where Hammer is hurt and he and O'Hara have to def- defuse, basically. Yeah, I think it was Memento Mori. They had to dump this thing... This is like his power core that they had to bring to a colony when they got ambushed. And basically, Hemmer's too injured to do it himself, so he's got to talk Uhura through it. And he's kind of mentoring her at the same time. It's how, and you see that again in um, in all those who wander. Yeah. That relationship he has with Uhura, which is pretty cool. I do appreciate that. That was a that was an interesting pairing, um, especially after their first meet cute where she insults him, <laughs> and he has no he has no desire to want to know her. So <laughs> no, he said to Spock afterwards, "I like her." I know, I know, but at the I, time, he Hammer strikes me as the you kind of got the vibe that he kind of likes throwing things out there. To make you uncomfortable to see how you react. Oh, sure. That was definitely... And there are people I mean, like, like that in real life, which I fucking hate, by the way. <laughs> I mean, that was the whole what intro of, what was it, episode two? Yeah, where she gets hazed and she wears a dress uniform to the captain's dinner. Oh, dude, I've seen that before. I know you have. We've, ex- <laughs> we've talked about that. And just Pike. <laughs> Opening the door and just laughing like, yeah, like, ah, to me too. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> that. And that's these are the things I liked about it. They they develop character, which is nice. You get character development of every single one of the cast to some degree. Yep, and I do appreciate that a lot more than Discovery's crew gets outside of the main people like okay i'll say this you won't get you didn't we didn't really get much in the way of character development of recurring character chief kyle aside from sometimes ensigns think he's mean when when he makes them like i don't know scrub the transporter buffers or something but i mean that whole spock amok episode where well, that's, I wanted it, to talk about like that. A, they do a body swap, and then I, everybody else is, is doing different stuff, and then you have the uh, the Enterprise bingo. Yeah, I wanted to say. the two people on, on the ship. Tell me that wasn't that I was going to say, I thought that that was going to be my least liked episode, but I honestly feel like that was one of my most favorites. I think it was well done. And... Uh, I, I liked the body swap and I liked how they realized, oh, this isn't working trying to fix it. Like and and Spock trying to literally in in his betrothed shoes try to do what she does, whereas she tries to do what he does. 
and it took Captain Pike to defend Spock, right? Right? Oh, In yeah. Telling, defending Spock by telling to, uh, to Pring. Is it to Pring? Yeah, Shit. basically. Bring. Yes. That, that, Telling yeah. to bring what he thinks of Spock and his sacrifice of being in Starfleet and all that. Because at this point, I mean, you don't have blended crews. It's still mostly humans in Starfleet, which I find weird. Well, the Enterprise relaunch novels and Axanar prelude to action are all kind of explained that in the early days of the federation races tended to crew together and maybe you have a handful of liaisons which you kind of make sense because you're trying to merge militaries it'd be like if the earth had its it's a combined military okay but you'd have like the uss california right next to the hms you know Hercules next to uh, a French ship and a a Russian ship and you know they're all crewed but they're all part of the whatever United Earth Navy or something like that right Right. Uh, and then they'd have like some liaison officers you know it it makes sense when you think about it just from a, a logical perspective that it took time and you know you see very few mixed crews a lot a lot fewer mixed crews in the original series than you do in discovery and uh, (laughs) strange new worlds but still i think part of that was also the budget of the time yes that is true all right so let me do this i already talked about I think Spock and Mock, it was my favorite episode. Oh, no, shit. No, I would go with Serene Squall as my least favorite episode. Spock and Mock is an honorable mention. I would say least that... least favorite? No, 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 no. Uh, Serene Squall is my least favorite. The same yeah, as you. But then you said... Spock and Mock is an honorable mention for one of my most favorite. Okay. You I will. I will go that. with... I apologize. I didn't I didn't specify that linearly. Um, my favorite episode outside of the 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 finale, which we're going to talk about real quick, uh, and we're not going to dig into this episode that I'm going to talk about. Lift us where suffering cannot reach. Oh. Where they're trying to um, bring the 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 chosen one child uh, yeah. through the ceremony. That was hard. I saw, okay, so basically, it's a threat to an idyllic planet, reunites Captain Pike with the lost love of his life, an alien woman uh, from this planet. To protect her and a scientific holy child from conspiracy, Pike offers his help and is forced to face unresolved feelings of his past. He falls back in love with this woman, and this woman is completely dedicated to saving this scientifically scientific holy child which by the way i think we need to understand most of society today feels like science is a holy realm which it is not but i think we need to understand the consequences of this episode because of that and we've had this discussion before too 
and we have other Star Trek things. Right. But basically, this the, there are insurgents trying to steal the child away because the child is supposed to be anointed and placed into his, you know, throne. Whatever. I forget what it was called. But all the traitors keep saying things like, I don't know, long live the chosen one or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And ultimately, this child, who is a prodigy, like a complete prodigy, understands quantum physics to the nth degree more than any of Earth's most intelligent people would ever know. Uh, but it is a very reclusive society. Eventually, after the resurgence are defeated, Pike walks the child to his anointing, only to find that they take a corpse off of the throne which is another small child, which is completely derived desiccated. of life. Desiccated. Yes, thank you. That is the right word. Desiccated in a horrific fashion, like this face of horror on this child's, this child's face. And this kid willingly walks onto that throne while Pike realizes, oh my God, they're sacrificing this child's life to keep all of these people happy happy and content and i thought and i saw i saw this happening halfway through the episode especially with the father trying to distance himself from the kid and then he who is a servant basically and then he tries to help the the insurgents i'm like oh he was the one behind the insurgents yeah i know he was i know he was um, but it was you could interpret that he was trying to you know put a wall between him and his child too. Uh, that's how I did it. You don't have to but, accept it. But no, no, I mean it was, he really was behind the insurgents. No, no, no. I agree with you. I, I, I no, know that it, actually it, happened. It, yes, I said that. Yes, but yes, that the that hard is, part it, was watching Pike's soul die in front of everybody. Yes, a part of him died watching that child being put into the Matrix, basically. Realizing he helped put that kid there. He did do that. He he was responsible for that small child's death, essentially. And his his female romantic interest couldn't understand his revulsion at that. Which I found good. I, I felt I felt that that was... I felt that was fitting because no human would see this as a fitting resolution for a child. Well, it's kind of like the the conflict with the Mocklins and the Orville. Explain. Well, I mean, you watched whatever it was last week's episode of the Orville, right? The Dolly Parton uh, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where? Sure. Oh, yeah. Where the Mocklins are just, and they kind of like to lord their weapons superiority over everybody else and say, well, you have to kiss our ass and respect our ways and not interfere with our ways if you want our weapons against the, the big bad rest of the universe. And these people are highfalutin, technologically advanced, and it's like, well, we're not part of your federation, so we don't really give a shit what you think. Mm hmm. And, we're all, you know, all the humans are basically like genuflecting and kowtowing to this superior race until finally it's like, 
dude, this is fucked up. Yeah. We can't, we can't, we can't condone this. I mean. <laughs> and, I, and I'll give, I'll give this. Even Seth MacFarlane didn't kill the kid. <laughs> no, no. Seth MacFarlane actually had the Admiral come in and meet with Mercer and with a big smile be like, we lost the alliance with the Mocklins. And Mercer's like, I'm sorry, Admiral. And the Admiral's like, I'm not. They were not part of they were not part of the union's uh, ways. We are going to figure our way through this this problem with the Kalon. But a, we have an admiral that actually agreed with Mercer's dealings, which is not what something you would normally see in Star Trek, by the way. Very rarely, not until basically. very rarely admiral you agree with that. So. <laughs> The but evil, the evil admiral trope is not there in the Orville, which I, I am happy for. Well, that's because they keep bringing in good actors. They do. <laughs> they have Victor Garber, uh, Ted Danson, uh, and Kelly, oh, Kelly who? Yeah. And who is the person that was in the, the, the monster episode? He, he was someone too. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with him. They have a couple, uh, they have a couple of your, throwaway admirals yeah but they have a couple of recurring admirals who are actually played by fairly known actors (laughs) i mean ted and they're willing to that's the thing it's seth mcfarland so are these actors gonna say no to seth mcfarland when he says hey i i got a part for you on this sci-fi Considering how bad he skewers celebrities you know it's a little bit of hit or miss uh, I, I think most of Hollywood feels that he's like the 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 person you don't say no to. Honestly, it's not oh, it's so not Hollywood that Weinstein? it's against him. How he skewered Weinstein? Oh, absolutely. Before no, Weinstein, he's the new Harvey Weinstein. You oh, he's not the new one. Oh God, no! Don't say that. <laughs> I understand where you were going with that, but it was only in jest. I know, I know, I know. And it, it's funny in a sense, because you don't say no to Harvey Weinstein. But you know what's been interesting? For, I don't know, four or five episodes, you, we were getting to see the Orville and Strange New Worlds putting out new episodes the same week. Yeah, yeah. And you could see. And you know what? The Orville, it's in season three of doing this jam, and... They've kind of got it down now. They've drifted a little away from the comedy, more towards true sci-fi kind of stories that we grew up on with Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager. But Strange New Worlds is is not taking a backseat for a I freshman say, show. Yep. With a lot of baggage behind it because of some of the rough patches that Trek has gone through. You they took a couple of huge swings and they didn't miss. No, they did it. They did it really well. And I, I, I'm going to say this, and you, I think you agree with this. And only because Oroville is just is three seasons in and they're 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 sinking really well. Oroville is better sci fi. And better storytelling. But Strange New Worlds is. 
doing pretty well in trying to catch up to that. And I think they'll get there if they keep going the way they're going. I they've got a strong cast. I'm worried about the writers. It's the writers that are still under the influence in at CBS. Because Seth MacFarlane is his own individual. He he is the Orville. He chooses the writers that do his bidding. Kurtzman was not a Star Trek fan. Robert Orsi was the Star Trek fan. And Orsi's not involved in, in secret hideout, which is in charge of Star Trek at CBS. Um, this well, Star Trek is all reactionary to the fans at this point, whereas right. the Orville was immediately embraced by the fans. Well, it was basically Seth MacFarlane's fanfic. It was. I mean, and Seth MacFarlane went to NBC six or seven years ago saying or CBS going, I'd like to buy Star Trek. And do a show and he pitched it to CBS and they said no. They're lost. Which it was. I mean, and but they've been paying for it ever said, since. That being said, Strange New Worlds had a hell of a freshman season. Let's talk about the final episode because we can't we can't talk about the season without talking about the final episode. I wasn't sure Which, where it was going to start. I with. I didn't either. Basically, it is it is uh, Captain Pike running into one of uh, a young child who is a cadet that he tries to save in the future, like five or six years, seven years or something like that. It, it's I it's unknown when he actually goes through the actual uh, burning. No, they said it's like seven years. So it's right before it's right at the round the same time as Balance of Terror, basically. Yeah, so like Pike's accident happens. Because remember, Menagerie was midway through season one of the original series. Well, and they say the accident uh, happened only a few months before. Oh, it was a few months before. Never mind. OK, so seven years. Fine. I'll accept that. Um Old Pike comes back with a, a Star Trek movie variation uniform, which I just got to say, this is my nitpick. Stop fucking around with the uniforms. We know what you're doing. We get it. You're He's wearing a movie era uniform. First of all, it is a parallel stripe flap. It is not a diagonal stripe flap, which is what Pike was wearing. So, and he had like all like the, the 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 bedazzled shoulders again on that red uniform. Stop it. So, Just own it. Own so, the somebody, original series. Somebody pointed out that they think it was a dyed version of his green wrap. The captain's leisure green ramp like Kirk used to wear. Why? Because the cuts are very similar. Okay, but why why would he wear that? Why would he dye it? No, not him, but that's basically what the costume department did. It was like with that amount of money that's in that costume department with what they're being able to pull out with what they had with the Romulans, holy shit, they could do a straight cut. For the You're red right. uniform. Do, do I think they With, could? And, and by the way, it would be cheaper because they wouldn't bedazzle the shoulders, which is what they did with all the other uniforms. 
And uh, just one more rant, one more rant before we talk about the excellence of the final episode. Can everyone on the Enterprise wear the same freaking fashion uniform? Please. Please. Like, either wear what the same kind of style, which is a, a black t-shirt and a v-neck shirt. Or just, like, do something, like, with the black sides, which is what Una wears. Or so just something with, like, the... uniformity the, in a uniform? I want a uniform in the uniform with the colors telling us their, their designation. Please. Can we have that? There is no, there is no uniformity there. That's my rant. I'm sorry. That was my biggest rant. By the way, that's my biggest rant for that last episode. Which Not is a bad. minor rant. Yeah. Right? I think we really need to also go away with the white uniform for chapel. Yeah, yeah. She needs she needs to wear the mini skirt. No, she just needs to wear blue. <laughs> I think she needs to wear the mini skirt. She needs to she needs the audience deserves her in a mini skirt. Now, now. <laughs> Listen, men and women would enjoy that. Trust me. This is this is an equitable decision. In all fairness, I I think that she's fine in the cut that she's in, but it's got to be fucking blue. I, it's fine. No, you're right. <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. Yes. It, it, yes. I understand they're trying to show that she's a nurse. She's probably not even like commissioned. She's she's an enlisted person. No, they kind of hinted that she wasn't in Starfleet. How is that even possible? Does that work? Does that work in the medical field in the military? Well, if you go to a hospital on a military base, most of them aren't, uni- most of the doctors aren't uniformed doctors anymore. Well, understood, but I mean, what about a military ship? I mean, what about a, I mean. Probably not on a ship, but this is Star Trek. They have a cadet on a year-long tour. We don't yeah. do that either. Well, agreed. Okay, so things change after three hundred and a half years. Um, so that that's my big thing. But let's talk about let's talk about the final episode. Um, Uhura Pike kind of wait, freaks. Pike freaks out when he learns the name of the kid who is one of the kids that dies that he's trying to save in his future. He freaks out when he meets the kid. He he, when he meets has the, kid. the names memorized. That's right. And and he freaks out, and it's an awkward situation. And he goes back to his quarters, and he meets Captain Pike. From, Admiral Pike. Oh, it's is it Admiral? Oh, it is Admiral. It is Admiral Pike. Right. I misinterpreted the cross as as Captain, but you're right. It is an Admiral Cross. Um, he meets Admiral Pike wearing an almost movie era uniform, except what some for, people call the Monster Maroons. Yes, which, except for my critique. Um, They're a more militant maroon-looking uniform. Yes. and One Cap- of my favorites. Admiral Pike. Pike. Oh, my absolute favorite, by the way. Admiral Pike tells Captain Pike, who's trying to write a letter, 
to the kids saying, don't join Starfleet because you're going to die. Um, here's why. Um, <laughs> which I don't think would have worked, by the way, but still. Uh, yeah, air doesn't move in space, but I get you. Yeah. So uh, it tells him, don't write it because things are going to be much worse in the future if you do. You'll survive. But it's going to be awful. And then he's sent into the future using the Klingon time crystals. Um, seven years to to right at the point Which where the balance. Mike of- learned about his horrific future in the first place during Discovery season two, where he was told exactly you can change it or you can you can save the world now. <laughs> right, right, right. So he's sent to the exact point at the beginning of the episode, the original series episode, Balance of Terror. And shit, we only have 10 minutes left. So anyway, hijinks ensue. Pike has no recollection in the last seven ep- the season, the years. And we see the Balance of Terror episode play out with Pike as captain, even though at this point he should be scarred to near death and incapacitated and captain kirk should be captaining the enterprise turns out kirk is captain of the farragut which is what he was originally serving on he just rose up in ranks and which by the way i believe in the original series was uh, a constitution class but they made it kind of like a proto miranda class which i like they totally did yeah they totally did and i feel like that's one of those things where they changed it just a little bit just a little bit because they don't want to give credit to the previous creators in one way or another. I also think it makes more sense Starfleet wise. They were just kind of ha- you know, hamstrung by budget and they would like duplicate the, the, those. It's kind of nice to see a different looking Starfleet. Ship. I mean, I was fine with the way the Farragut looked, trust me, but I was thinking that's not a Miranda class ship, it's something different. And why do they have to just make it look just a little different from what it's referencing? You know what I mean? Anyway, just like the freaking maroon marauder uniform, whatever, the maroon meanie or whatever. What do you what did you call it? I've heard other people call it the monster maroons. I kind of like the military maroon myself. Yeah, well, I obviously we both prefer that uniform. So we see Captain Pike. <laughs> I would salute, but I don't know what you're saluting to. So, um, immediate court martial at this point uh, for me. <laughs> so, yeah, and I would agree. I wouldn't argue. Uh, so ultimately, we see the balance of terror play out with these two starships and Captain Kirk and Captain Pike having con- completely different plans on how this works, and. In the original series, Captain Kirk puts himself in the Romulan commander's shoes and goes, this isn't what I would do. I would do this. I think he's going to do this, too. And that is exactly how they think. And and Leonard, uh, Mark Leonard, as the Romulan commander, God bless him, in that episode says he's like a mind reader. I watched this episode today, by the way, while I was working because... I had to. I had to. It, it, it was a good episode. Oh my Mark god, Leonard it was gave amazing. A great performance as the Romulan commander. Absolute amazing episode. And so, but we see it play out differently because Pike's in charge and he makes different choices. He goes for a more diplomatic route, which is interesting 
Kirk is because... trying to basically search and destroy. Right, because we had, he had been wrong. The Federation had been wrong. Kirk is out for blood. He's like, they're not going to talk to us. We need to take care of it. Pike, in the, in the meantime, is we have an opportunity here to stop this different, you know, with 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 uh, with words. Which, by the way, by the way, I honestly think I would go about that the same way as Pike. As much as I hate to to say it, it's, it's very it's very Star Trek. It's very Picard, yes. right? That's a very oh, Picard. very Picard, absolutely, absolutely. But, and with Picard, it worked out. Well, and with Pike, he was getting through to the Romulan commander, which was actually was a reasonable man, which was pretty awesome to see. But these are the Romulans, so he has a dick underling. Yep. He sells them out. <laughs> um, and in in the original Balance of Terror, Kirk is not like bloodthirsty, like you must kill them, but he's like this is what we need to do. We have to prevent this ship from getting away and coming back and wreaking havoc. So right, exactly. It, it's and... more of it's more of a necessity, not a vengeance thing. No, and uh, I didn't mean to portray it that way. I, I, I but apologize. You do get a little more bloodthirstyish from New Kirk. A little. He, a little not, bit. I would agree with that. Not. I was worried that they were going to make him a real tool. And I he was worried too. They, he wasn't, though. No. In fact, he was fairly reasonable at times. He and Pike, despite having substantially different opinions, actually had a lot of respect for each other. Yeah. I was worried too when Sam's like, yeah, Jim hates to lose and all this. I'm like, oh God, is this going to be bad? But no. Mm -hmm. That being said, Pike's approach was the wrong approach, we learn. And Spock gets severely hurt. Yep. In fact, basically, he becomes what Pike is supposed to be in the prime timeline. Yep. that's what future Pike comes back to tell me. He's like, if you do this, like, it's not going to be as big a deal to Federation history uh, than if you let Spock get crippled or die. Yeah, he's got yeah. shit he's got to do, which is kind of a yeah. it's kind of a huge reality check. Where Chris Pike's like, I guess I'm really not that important, you know? He's more important in a different way. Right. <laughs> but again, this is the more you see here, and at the very end where Pike kind of hints that something happened and it was for Spock and kind of like, you know, I think he kind of like hinted like he had the ability to change his future but couldn't and didn't and kind of intimated that Spock was part of it and he's like, you know, I I feel like I owe you a debt of gratitude. Yeah. And this goes a long way in helping to explain Spock in the menagerie. Yeah, his loyalty to Captain Pike in in, the, in those two episodes. You're absolutely correct. He showed an unwavering loyalty to Pike. Yeah. Which, when you see how he acts in, like, the first, whatever, eight to ten episodes of 
TOS before you get to the menagerie, Spock going off on a tangent like this is way out of character. Yeah, absolutely. Now I didn't think about it like that. You're right. And and I would be lying if I said that this was a wholly original idea. I'd heard other people talk about it. The more I dove into it, the more I realized that it really does, you know, I do remember going, you know, this does make Spock's actions more logical, I guess you would say. But, you know, it gives more gravitas to the reason why Spock puts his whole career and life on the line for, for Pike. Well, I mean, he he does the same thing for Kirk later on, as you know. Uh, uh, Spock is a loyal uh, is a loyal man to the people. No, that... Kirk does for Spock what Spock did for Pike is basically. Uh, yes, of course, and Spock does the same thing uh, in Star Trek Six. I mean, yes, there is that. They, they 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 do that. I mean, Kirk was willing to let Spock kill him. When he couldn't get laid in a mock time. <laughs> that, that's an I get it, but that's an unnecessary side. But <laughs> so we're we're coming up on the end here, and there are other things I want to talk about. Strange New Worlds, what I which I think the next episode we should discuss. No, no, ten minutes. I think we can close it out. Do you think so? All right, all right. Tell me what you want to say because. Plus, All right. Your your pluses, your minuses. All right, pluses. Uh, it's episodic, which actually makes the show more durable because you can have a good episode or a couple good episodes and then a bad episode, which doesn't ruin the whole season. Agreed. Um, they had real sci-fi thought processes with the kid that that stabilized the society. Um, the first contact Moral episode context. wasn't really, I mean, it could have been done a little bit better not showing January 6th because <laughs> politics. A tad insisted, um, but continue. yeah. Um, and they could have, oh, the other, the other con is like, stop showing everyone's pain. You don't need to show everyone's pain. Just show everyone's due diligence. I want my pain. I, I need my pain. We understand everyone has pain. By the way, that sounded awesome on the microphone, by the way. That was awesome. That, that sounded really good. Well, I I am awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, we don't need to hear everyone's pain up front. That is a reflection of the writers going through that therapy. And I think that's a reflection of the, like the last twenty years of everything. Look at DC; yeah. everything is dark. It is. It is. And remember when Superman stupid. used to be hope? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's good in hope, practical hope, and help. I mean, just the little things. So, and I liked, I liked the optimism. I liked the lighter settings. I liked. I just, I just, I felt that this was very much closer to Star Trek than not. I still feel the fingerprints of the old series of Discovery on it, which I, again, I am not going to watch any more Discovery. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to, I can't. Um, but I, I gotta give, the, I gotta give the show a, a, a solid B plus, man. 
Oh, it was, and, and there were some episodes that were A's. Honestly, I, I'm definitely giving the show right now a solid A minus. I'm not going to oversell yeah. it, but it's a solid A minus. Okay. Yeah. Taking taking it parallel to Lower Decks, it's the best live action Star Trek we've had. Yeah. Okay, in in twenty years, okay, and you know that I appreciate Enterprise. I, in fact, I like Enterprise very much, particularly the last two seasons. So it's definitely the best. You and I both. Live action season of Star Trek since season three and four of Enterprise. So I'm happy about that because it was consistently good. Even some of the lower. Rated episodes for me were still decent episodes. They weren't shitty sci-fi. They weren't True. Spock's brain. They weren't. No, you're right. They you're weren't right. Uh, the <laughs> code of honor. No, and and none of them were. None of them were anywhere close to something like that. You're absolutely. We're talking about strange new worlds, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were, you know, they were just not the strongest, in my opinion, of the series. You know, they all have to have an order, one through one through ten. <laughs> yes. And I think number ten still has at least a, a C plus to B minus rating for me, which it's pretty good. So let me let me just say this real quick in parting, because we mm-hmm. still have seven minutes left. <laughs> um. I just wish Star Trek would stop go- relying on the member berries. And yeah. I know it's really hard. I know it's really hard to do that with a series like Strange New World, which is based completely on the Enterprise right before Kirk. I get that. I understand that. And for a large part of it, they do a pretty good job not doing the member berries. Pretty good. But I want a Star Trek that doesn't have to, like, try to prove itself. Hey, we're really Star Trek. You see this? This is a reference to the Gorn. This is a reference to Ty- Tyrus Four. Oh, by the way, the, the, there was an Easter egg in the final episode when Pike is reading Kirk's um, uh, card or whatever. Where he's, re- where he's reading his uh, his file. His file, which doesn't even list his, his rank, by the way. Um, I paused it. But it shows that Kirk participated in... Oh, shit. What was it called? The Battle of... Um... You know that fan-made film? What was it called? Axanar. Axanar. It actually shows him being like the hero of Axanar. Cool. Uh, first of all, kind of a step on the balls for the creator of the the Axanar uh, movie. It, never a mention in real Star Trek, but which is a shame because that, that was that was some balmy and that was that. Fucking ballsy and bomb ass star trek it was and that was what that was what ds uh, discovery was supposed to be but axanar did it better and discovery's like 
fuck you, we're going to do something different. But then they go ahead and reference Axanar. Why? Why would they do Because I think Axanar was actually referenced somewhere in canon prior to that. All right, I'm going to go through my encyclopedia real quick and figure that out. Hold on, I'll be right back. Dude, it probably won't be in the written version. You're going to need something a little more updated. Well, I'm right here. Don't worry. Um, and I we can sign off in like two minutes. Axanar. Um, R. There's only one other page to go through. Hold on. A X. I need. Understood. Oh look, Mr. Ataz, A2Z. How did you know that? The Aurora. Axionic. Oh, Axanar. Holy shit! It's right here planet that was the site of a major battle in which Starfleet Captain Garth won a historic victory in the 2250s. James Kirk's first visit to Axanar was as a cadet on a peace mission. This is in this is in the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Must have been the, from the Garth of Izar episode. Had to have been. From, who, uh, from whom gods destroy uh, Garth. Kirk was subsequently awarded the palm leaf of Axanar peace mission. So I'm going to take back the whole reference to Axanar and my critique about that. And then here it is in italicized where it explains this reference. It was not established who the opponent was in Garth's victory. It has been speculated that it might have been the Romulans, although the history implied by balance of terror indicates that there was no Federation contact with the Romulans during that time frame. Kirk noted that Garth's victory was instrumental in making it possible for he and Spock to work together as brothers. So the Axanar battle apparently had something to do with holding the Federation together. Fascinating. And they referenced it. Well, Interesting. All that's doing is maintaining continuity, which I appreciate. I do appreciate that. I do appreciate And I that. thought their take on Balance of Terror was excellent. I thought it was pretty good too. It I felt it was a member berry. What if? It was. It, you're absolutely right. It absolutely was. And it wasn't um, bad. It, it's not bad that they did that. It's an alternate history. Okay. And it's completely fine. I don't think it was unoriginal. I don't no, think. No, was... no, it wasn't. It wasn't unoriginal. Sorry, I cut you off. And I And I think it was a very neat way yet was it definitely an homage it was probably as much an homage as trouble uh, trials and tribulations okay but they did something different they did something fun with both of them i agree with that i agree with that i still think it relied on the member berries a little bit to say hey this is still star trek you see it why that's the problem with prequels. Into the, they tied it directly into a TOS episode. It's a minor, it's a minor critique, by the way. Yeah, not nearly as rough as these are the voyages. Uh, oh my god, yes, I will say that. Um, this, this done right is what you could have done something like this with these are the voyages and have like, well, I mean, I guess you really couldn't because. In some ways, this is a little similar to Endgame for Voyager, where future Admiral comes back to past Captain and warned about making bad decisions. Yeah, well, that's true, too. You could think a parallel to that. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. 
I didn't but, think about Endgame, but you're right. But they did enough things differently that it made it worth it. And I, I'll just say this. What Strange New Worlds did do was get, it gave much-needed background to characters who didn't have a lot in the original series. You learn more about Uhura, which is good. Yes. Chapel actually has a personality. Yes, she does. Mbenga, who had like two roles, but you get to see him. I'm kind of curious how he becomes subordinate to McCoy. I'm kind of, I was thinking that this whole daughter thing was going to go on a little longer and he was going to get busted. And like this, this episode, this season feels like it, it, it honestly feels like it's a one off. With the way they wrote it, would you agree? I think it, 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 they might have played it like maybe we won't get picked up for season two. So let's, yeah. let's give it what we got. Let's wrap up what we have. That's exactly what it feels like. Yes. But you could see Mbenga in a year or so taking a leave of absence, you know, going to find himself or something like mm-hmm. that. Because you see, and while the thing with his daughter ended beautifully, you could see there was something lingering with him in the following episode. You oh, know? yeah. Which is good, because what I do like about this is that they are separate stories, but the threads are common enough that, unlike Next Generation, or more specifically the original series, where it's like, oh, yes, not only... Did all these horrible things happen to everybody, but there is absolutely no character development on that the following week. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Chekhov had his, had his legs surgically removed and then sewed back, and he was struggling with, like, or it was like when Uhura's mind was wiped, and they're, like, reteaching her how. Oh, my God, yes, like the, that's right. And then the next week, it's, like, Just back to being her. Same as, same as it ever was. I don't think they even like fixed her at the end of the episode. Nope. They just showed that she was like relearning everything and she was speaking in, in, um, shoot. What was she speaking in? Um, Swahili or something. It was Swahili. Thank you. It was, it was Swahili. I didn't want to get it wrong. So anyway, we've already given our grades. I, but I'm I'm excited for season two. They left with just enough of a cliffhanger to make you curious as to what will happen next. Yes. We have One at least the... six seasons before we have to deal with Kirk again. <laughs> no, he's supposed to be in season two. Ah. Uh, my, uh, my theory is that it'll be an episode or two or he's a junior officer that they have to work with in another area. Oh. Probably on the Farragut or the Republic, one of the two ships that he served on prior to the Enterprise, according to POS. Well, we'll see. We will see. Maybe um... maybe we'll get to see him attempt to teach, you know, Sam attempt to teach Jim how to grow a mustache. (laughs) <laughs> oh god 
Maybe. Well, Sam eventually has to go to that that colony, doesn't he? He has to go to Deneva and die. Deneva, yeah. He eventually has to go there with his family. Or does he have a family, Sam? Yes. Wife, kid, and then he gets killed by Jokestor Barf. They all die by these giant viruses that fly through the air. Not the kid. Oh, the kid survives. Okay. I forgot. It's been 30 years. So. Jim Kirk, <laughs> absentee father and uncle. Yes, <laughs> this is true. On that note, everyone, we're going to wrap things up here. Hope you loved the last season of, uh, I almost said Stranger Things, Strange New Worlds. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, DT, on behalf of you, you can reach us at uh, at those sci-fi guys on Twitter, those sci-fi guys at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about these episodes. And those sci-fi guys.com. Oh yeah, and then www.thosefiguys.com. Well, you can you hear the as well. Yes, you can hear all the episodes. Um, in the meantime, till the next time, you guys treat. Oh, shit. You guys keep out. We'll keep working, and we'll see you on the high ground. So long, folks. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alphasite Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin Cloud at incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosescifiguys.com for past episode information.